0: The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Well, we are on about week 13 and 14 of the Sermon on the Mount. Next week, we jump into chapter 7 and kind of hit the home stretch. Really appreciate Dave and Tim as they've taught with me, and we've learned together about this sermon from Jesus. He preached, took about 16 minutes when he preached it. We've taken over 16 weeks to try to dissect it. We're going to keep walking through it. We're at the end of Matthew chapter 6 this week. We're in verses about 24 or 25 through 34. Let's see. Am I going the wrong way there? Let's see. Well, I want to tell you about a guy named Robert, and, uh, and let's see if I can find him. Here we go. This is Robert, and Robert, back in the 30s, loved to sing. His dad was a preacher, and he sang at church. He was pretty good. He wanted to join the high school choir, but his dad was a little bit nervous because he didn't want him singing anything other than church music. But finally, he just said, Yeah, you can join the choir. And he goes to join the choir, and the choir teacher the first day just says, Man, you're really talented. Gives him private voice lessons. He goes to college and gets a degree, ends up moving to New York, gets some small parts. Then World War II hits, he goes, serves in the war, comes back, and in the late 40s and early 50s picks up a couple more small parts in Broadway productions. Then there's a contest in 1953. It's an open-air contest, and whoever wins this contest is going to get six months of training and then a contract at the New York Metropolitan Opera. His friends are like, Robert, you got to go for it. He goes, no way am I going for it. They said, why not? He said, because if I enter that competition, I'm going to win, and they're not going to let a black man sing at the Met. It's 1953. He entered the competition. He won. They gave him six months of training, and they weren't going to let him sing. But he kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And 13 months in, he got his contract played an Ethiopian king, met a girl named Sarah who was a really good singer. She sang mostly at church but had a little singing career and they're this great family and they get married and then they had two kids, Robert Jr. and Brenda, both really talented. Well, Robert Jr., he starts singing in high school. He's really gifted, goes to college, gets a degree. He comes back to New York and he's making a living in music but he hasn't just made it. He really hopes to find fame in music, but he's struggling with it. And one night he's at a couple of friends' house, Robert's son is, and he sees this four-word saying on the wall and it's a mantra from a Hindu guru named Meher Baha. And it just starts rolling around in his head and he's walking along the streets of New York and he finds himself singing it. And then one day he sits down and writes this, Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry. Be happy. In 1998, Bobby McFerrin became the one hit wonder that he is. Was what Jesus is saying, is it what Bobby McFerrin or Hindu guru, Meher Baha would say? When he says, don't be anxious three times in the passage that we're gonna read, is it just a saying that would work well for Hindus or Buddhists or Muslims or heck, you might be even an atheist. Say, hey, if you're worried, just don't worry, be happy. Or is there something much deeper that Jesus might be calling us to? When he says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink "'Nor about your body what you will put on. "'Is not life more than food, "'and the body more than clothing? "'Look at the birds of the air. "'They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, "'and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. "'Are you not of more value than they? "'And when you being anxious... Can you add a single hour to the span of your life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you will be anxious for itself sufficient for the day is its own trouble now i should i should give a disclaimer as we are going to talk about anxiety and how jesus offers freedom from that some of you experience or have experienced clinical anxiety and we want you to hear if that's you seek help seek someone to talk to Seek whatever you need to get that resolved. And at the same time, we would say, even in the midst of clinical anxiety, we believe there's something that the gospel has to offer. And even then, our call is gonna be to seek Jesus and his righteousness. And so from the outset, we'll visit this again I want to tell you that the call of the day, more than it is, do not be anxious, it's seek the kingdom and seek His righteousness, this righteousness that is not our own, that's only found in Christ and His work that comes to us by grace through faith. I think much more than this is about, do not worry, though it is about do not be anxious." It's about in your next many months, when you look ahead to the 23, 24 year, is there room in there for you to seek Jesus, to pursue Him, to run after Him because there will be some things in the next year that you're not pursuing. I've got a, a friend that she didn't step into 2023 thinking that she'd have a sister really, really sick and a brother really, really sick. Both of them, life may be in danger from sickness, but that's what she found. Another friend who did not expect that his sector of business would take a major downturn in 2023. But both of them I've seen in the last weeks seeking and trusting and resting in Jesus. Now, maybe what you're experiencing isn't what they're experiencing, but maybe you weren't planning this year You weren't seeking to be laid off, but you have been. Maybe you weren't planning on the rates being up and the market being down. If I'm honest with you, I was not planning on my property taxes going up as much as they are. But in the the moments like this, there's something Jesus is calling this people to in the first century, and I think calling us to. And so he says, therefore, do not be anxious. Well, you know, and we've said it, when you see the therefore, you ask, what's it therefore?" Tim closed last week talking about Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, don't be anxious about these things you get anxious about these things, you'll end up despising God and devoted to mammon. Well, we we could read this and go, that's great, and it was good for people in the first century, but I'm really, I'm not worried about food and clothing, and really nobody around me is worried about food and clothing. But I would say, actually, in this room, there are people that are worried about it. They live week to week. Some of them maybe day to day. They are concerned about it. Dave they, Tate was was telling me 77% of students in TISD are on free or reduced lunches. Well, you, you see signs there are lunches available, but some of them, their family's not mobile enough to get to them. So there are people in our community where this hits home really, really hard, but then you might go, I'm not poor, I don't worry about things like that. And I would ask, are you, are you sure? Because you don't have to be poor to be consumed with food and money there's a a guy i know we we used to be friends i'm not sure he would call me a friend anymore he's consumed with how he looks he's consumed with what he can eat he's consumed with the clothes that he wears the experiences that he's had but his life is full of anxiety because it's a trash heap that's just headed for separation from god He's the epitome of what it looks like to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul. And he is anxious. But to those who would trust in him and who would seek in him life and satisfaction and hope and forgiveness and a new way of living, Jesus offers an incredible comfort in this text. He offers an inescapable challenge and he offers an incomparable calling an incredible comfort he says look at the birds look at the birds of the air they're not working hard to gather food but the food is there last week right after father's day I headed to Wyoming. I've got a buddy. You talk about a good friend, a friend who's a pastor in Alabama. He had had been invited to a retreat, got to go back to it completely free. And he invited me to a retreat outside of Encampment, Wyoming, population 432. The only thing in Encampment is a little establishment called the Mangy Moose. And you do not want to go there. We leave encampment and get on a dirt road where cell service goes away. We're in a lodge where there is no Wi-Fi. It was amazing. And we spend the next several days praying in the morning, reading a little bit of Scripture, and then spending about nine hours a day trying to trick a trout to bite something that looks like a bug. (laughs) And we're in the middle of the encampment river, throwing up at this log pile, and my buddy Brad goes, hey, Chase, look, that bird up there's dancing. Like, what are you talking about? I thought maybe the altitude had hit him, right? They're low down in Alabama. (laughs) But I look up, and sure enough, there's this bird just bouncing up and down, bouncing up and down, bouncing up and down, kind of dancing. Now, within a mile radius of this bird, there are bobcats, there are mountain lions, there are bears, there are foxes, there are badgers, Weasels, all kinds of impediments to the thing that the bird calls life. But he just doesn't have a care in the world. And he's going to eat for the day. And Jesus says, think about these birds. Don't you understand you're so much more valuable than they are? Your father feeds them. You are valuable because you're made in the image of God. Then he also says, think about the flowers of the field. Again, last week, when I was outside in Campman, Wyoming, highest temperature of the week was 72 degrees. It was awful. (laughs) We walk up on a ridge because we're trying to get to places that were hard to get to to fish, and I'll tell you, they were hard to get to. But on the, in, in one area, we climb up and we get up on this ridge and we're walking down this trail and in about a 500-yard span, we see cactuses that are blooming. We see wildflowers of every color, white, orange, red, purple, pink, yellow. And you know what? None of them planted themselves. None of them have done a thing to get water or sunlight and yet they are arrayed nicer than Solomon in all of his glory they don't toil or spin. But God takes care of them. If God clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? There's this incredible comfort. Drought will come when the snow melt is done and those flowers will go away. Oh, man, right now, they just look amazing. They just look amazing. And... Jesus says he will cover you. He will clothe you. Isn't that what God has always done? Adam and Eve are in the garden naked and not ashamed. See, they weren't clothed. He didn't clothe them. No, they were clothed in the innocence that comes from being unbroken. And God had given them everything they needed for food. But they got anxious. There was that one tree, and they just thought, man, life, will it be enough if I just don't have the fruit from that one tree? And for them, they thought it wouldn't, and they died. And then in their anxiousness, they tried to cover themselves, but their coverings were not good. Take a moment, think about the person right next to you and how they might look arrayed in fig leaves. It's bad, right? (laughs) So God gives them covering, he gives them covering with animal skins. There's a sacrifice made, but that covering is really just the beginning foreshadowing of this great covering God is going to give with the blood of Jesus Christ that covers all of our sins. He will clothe you. See, the reason I think this ought to bring great comfort is because God is the only non-contingent being in the universe. God's existence, his wisdom, his power and love are not contingent on you or me, anything we've done, anything we can do, or anybody in the history of the world. He exists as uncaused, and he's the only one who does. He doesn't need us. If he were hungry, he would not go, Dennis, do you have something to eat? I'm really hungry. All the beasts of the field are his. The cattle on a thousand hills. So when God comes to you and me with relationship, he comes in love. And in the midst of the world's brokenness, in the midst of everything you might be facing today, that ought to be an incredible comfort to you that the God who made Wyoming and Texas comes to you and clothes you and will give you Food. He will care for you. It's easy to forget how God cares for us when we see the worries of the day. There was an African bishop that lived about sixteen hundred years ago. His name was Augustine, and Augustine said one of the mistakes we make when we think about God is this: is we think that life is like a piece of stained glass that our face is pressed up against. And that's how we perceive it. If you can imagine pressing your face up against a piece of stained glass, you couldn't see through it. Wouldn't be very pretty. It would look like it was broken around the edges. And that's how we live. We live finite. We only see one piece of the stained glass. But if we could step back like God, he doesn't have to step back. He's infinite. He can see the whole picture. And if we could see the whole picture, we would see that he is creating something beautiful, even in our brokenness. Because you know what that is? That's a picture made up of a bunch of broken pieces of glass. And it's just made something beautiful. So what people means for evil, what the enemy means for evil, God means for good, and he will make it fit into something redemptive and glorious and beautiful. And these people on this hillside should have known it because they were Israel. God's protection for them had been real in Egypt. His provision for them had been true. in exile and his deliverance would be provided for them from all evil. So he says, don't be anxious. You're more valuable than the birds and the flowers. You're made in the image of God, and you are his people. Don't be anxious. Now, you might, might hear this and go, well, that's great, Chase. You're, you're a pastor. You probably never dealt with anxiety. And uh, that was true for a long time. I, uh, people I love would say that there was a season in my life where I was annoyingly unanxious, And something something happened in 2013, some some difficulty hit our family and then there was a death in the family in 2014 and some more difficulty hit. And I gotta tell you, I was just wrecked with anxiety in ways that I never had been before. I couldn't go to sleep and when I went to sleep, I didn't sleep long. There's a period of about six months where I literally don't remember sleeping longer than two hours at a time. I was miserable, and if you can imagine a 40-year-old man who hadn't slept but about two hours, everybody around me was miserable. And I got to tell you, I don't know why. I don't remember exactly when. I don't know how God graciously removed anxiety from me. I read all the scriptures I know to read. I memorized them. I prayed all the prayers I knew to pray, and it just didn't go away, and then one day it did. It did. It just did. So I don't have five principles and four steps that you can take to resolve all of this. I'm gonna tell you, I believe the answer is in looking not at ourselves, but looking to Jesus. See, my my anxiety isn't just utterly gone away. I heard a guy describe it this way the other day, and I really appreciated it. It hasn't utterly gone away, but it's not here right now, I can tell you. Well, of course it's not, Chase. You just went to Wyoming, Right? (laughs) but it's kind of like it's in Colleen, right? It, It might show up 30 minutes from now, but I know when it's coming. And if it's coming, I can be prepared. And in the midst of it, I have a Father who loves me, and you have a Father who loves you. And that ought to be incredible comfort. Jesus gives incredible comfort, but he also gives an inescapable challenge, He gives an inescapable challenge when he says, Therefore, do not be anxious. Saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, we read Gentiles, he's speaking to the Jews. We really just need to read pagans, people who don't know God, seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. I think he's saying, hey, remember, you're Israel. You're the people of God. Remember who you are. You're not the pagans. Why do you have such little faith? Now, the good news is in the midst of our little faith, we've got this big God who shows up, shows himself mighty to save. I think Matthew's readers would know that through the spirit, they're going to be given a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees because Jesus started this sermon by saying, if your righteousness doesn't exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. He's gonna give it to them through his death and his resurrection. And I think he's maybe asking this, hey, what, what story would you like to be part of See, because you could be this, this person who's trying to live success in the Roman Empire and give your allegiance to Rome. You could be this person who's a Jewish zealot that wants to be part of this story of revolution where they conquer Rome and take over and set up a, this kind of this euphoric place on earth. So right now, there are kind of two stories that are competing in the world. And one says, hey, you know, the world was in a really dark place um, but, but it's not dark anymore. We, we've come to the light, if you will. See, it was dark because of this fear religion held over people. But we can, we can move away from that now. We don't have to believe those silly old tales. And we can be free from all that deception. Well, the world's been trying that out for a couple hundred years. And I got to be honest, it doesn't seem to be working really well. See, there's another story, though, that says the world was beautiful and people were made in the image of God, but in our sin and rebellion, we broke our relationship with God, and that's what actually brought darkness into the world. Not not separation to God, but separation from God brought darkness. So really... This story is a story of people who see this Jesus, the king who's come and who seek after him and he's got this challenge. What story do you want to be part of? He is reminding them, you're the new covenant people. This law is being written on your heart. You're gonna be people who, it's not just that you don't murder, you're not angry. It's not just that you don't commit adultery, you don't lust because you've got a different treasure. It's not on earth. It's in Christ. He's calling them to something bigger than themselves. He's calling them to something beyond themselves and he's reminding them that the love of the Father ought to have them beside themselves. See, there I I am last Wednesday night, two Wednesday nights ago, walking in darkness to a cabin and my friend, He goes, hey, would you look at that? And we look up, he goes, that's the Milky Way. We saw bald eagles, we saw bighorn sheep, all these amazing things. We saw this river that has been cut out of rock that you just can't cut a course through. And I wake up in journal the next morning and I'm writing down that the God who made all these things, that's our Father, And Jesus says, your father knows you need them all. He knows you need them all. Have you ever ever seen a dad? He's got his toddler and he's throwing him up in the air and catching him. I don't know about you, but the only dad I'm comfortable doing that is me. I see other guys doing it. It makes me nervous. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Uh, Mark, I'm not sure if they know. Would you come up and I'll throw you? No. (laughs) So you see this and here's, What you can always see is this kid's just got this smile. They're laughing. It's this great moment. I can see the faces of my kids when I did that to them several years ago. And they don't have a care in the world because of two things they know. Number one, they know their dad's arms are strong. And they know his heart is for them. And Jesus says, the pagans seek after all these things, but your father knows you need them. You can trust him. He is a God who knows. Listen, it's maybe a moment to just say, sometimes we hear things, they creep up in the church, they seem innocuous, but they're dangerous doctrines. And one of them is this idea that God doesn't know. It's called open theism. It's this idea that God doesn't know the future. It might not sound like a big deal. It might sound like, oh, of course, because if he knew the future and he didn't do anything about the brokenness, well, gosh, that's tough to deal with. It is tough to deal with. But the scripture says our God knows the end from the beginning. He declares things to be before they come to pass. He has all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And you have a father who does know what you need today and he knows what you're going to need 20 years from now. So you can have faith. You can trust in Jesus. It's an inescapable challenge when he says, do you trust me? Your father knows. He gives them an incredible comfort. He gives them an inescapable challenge and he gives them an incomparable calling. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What does it mean to seek the kingdom of God? You think about the kingdom of God, there's kind of an already and a not yet. I grew up in a tradition that was all about the not yet. The kingdom is what's coming. Some of you might have grown up in a tradition of an already. Well, the kingdom of God is now, and I don't think it's one or the other. I think it's both. In Mark 1, 14 and 15, when Jesus comes on the scene, he says, repent and believe the gospel, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Luke 12, 32, he says to his disciples, do not be afraid, little flock. The Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Therefore, sell what you have and give to the poor. Buy purses for yourself that will not wear out. The kingdom is here. He says right now, seek first the kingdom. But then in John 18, 36, when Jesus is going to be crucified, he's standing before Pilate, and Pilate says, are you a king? And Jesus says, my kingdom's not of this world. If it were my followers would come with swords and they would fight there's a not yet in the middle of this brokenness but we're to live seeking the kingdom really as expressions of love and care and mercy and kindness and forgiveness and service that show the world what it looks like when jesus is king we're to labor that way until he comes well well, how do we do that? I think the, the biggest part of that is you seek the king. And I'm going to tell you three ways to do that. But before I do, I want to say maybe one of the problems with the witness of the church for about the last 30 years is that we've not been seeking the king. And the world has heard from us a lot more about what we value than they have who we value. Just let that sink in. That Maybe one of our problems is that sometimes the world hears more of what we value than who we value. They hear more of what we're against than who we are for. And who we are for is King Jesus. So how do you seek the King? I think number one, it it just, just involves crucifixion of self. Just involves crucifixion of self. The Apostle Paul said this... He says, may I never boast in anything except the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ through which, through which I've been crucified to the world and the world's been crucified to me. Has, has, it, has it been a little bit since you just prayed to Jesus? Jesus, would you just kill anything in me that would keep me from knowing you more? Jesus, would you just crucify anything in me that would keep me from sharing your love with the world, from speaking truth about Jesus to the world, from being the most loving, self-sacrificial person Temple Texas knows by your grace, would you just kill that in me? See, I think it involves crucifixion of self. But it doesn't involve that alone. It also involves a community to stand with. See, we're part of this story of the redeemed people of God. So we're not conformed to the image of this world. We're transformed through the renewing of our minds so that with our lives of worship, we can prove what the will of God is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. It involves crucifixion of self. It involves a community to stand with and it involves a commission to step into. There's surrender and community and mission. And that commission is that we are disciples who make disciples that's why TBC exists. We make disciples for the glory of God. God's will for us is that we would be loving and speaking of Jesus regularly because we're seeking, when we seek the king, we seek his enthronement over all the world, but also in our lives and hearts and in the hearts and lives of our neighbors, coworkers, family, and friends. We're to seek the king, and then we're to seek his righteousness. See, it's not the things that we worry about don't matter. They do, and God knows. God knows they do. Chase, if I do this, are all my worries going to go away? That's not what I'm telling you, but what I am telling you is that there's a king who will be with you in the midst of your worry. And I don't know about you, but that gives me a lot of peace. So then our worry turns into prayer. And I think that makes him worth seeking. We pursue the king and we seek his righteousness. We seek his righteousness. It's not a righteousness of our own, but it's a righteousness that's found through faith in Jesus Christ. It's a righteousness that was bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ and proven true by his resurrection from the dead. So that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Your life will be utterly transformed and you can live to seek the king who created you and who loves you. See, seek it's this word Jesus uses for prayer. You might go, Chase, I hear this, but I got, I'm just so wrecked with anxiety, I'm, I'm weary. I'm just tired, the burdens are so heavy. And later in Matthew, Jesus said, then come to me. If you're, you're weary, come come to me. Come to me and I'll give you rest. I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy, my burden His light, I'll make your burdens light. Now I will give you rest for your weary soul. See, if you seek mammon, you're not going to find rest. But the God who clothes the lilies of the field and feeds the birds of the air finds you valuable, made in his image, and he'll give you rest. So seek his kingdom and seek his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. And seek it today because tomorrow will have enough trouble of its own. But in the middle of tomorrow's trouble, guess what? God will be with you and He will use you. He'll use you and minister to you in your trouble, and He'll use you to minister to others in their troubles. Those healthcare workers we prayed for, that's what they do every day. You can wake up and step out this week knowing God's going to use you in the midst of someone's trouble this week. So seek the king. Jesus, we want to do that. We just say aloud, you are the king of the universe and we are not. So God whether we go to work tomorrow or whether we go to celebrate Tuesday, when we go home today to be with our family, when we're visiting with friends in the neighborhood, God, let us seek you in such a way that you are the joy of our lives, in such a way that your name is known and magnified and we're just blown away by your goodness, by your forgiveness, by the hope and the comfort that you give. Help us to run after you and reflect your righteousness to the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.